<clears throat> All right, we are up and running. We're at a pretty good pace tonight, a little bit earlier than sometimes we get started. And we're going to go right into the video, unless anybody has anything beforehand. How many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are going to go ahead and get started. Tonight is um, the Holy Roman Empire reborn, right? Yes. Okay. Got another. So Israel, that topic was a part one and a part two, sort of. I think lesson nine and ten are part one and part two, but tonight's just um, Holy Roman Empire reborn. prophecy we're studying today is one of the most critical prophecies of the entire Bible. Without the right understanding about this prophecy, it's impossible to really grasp the entire scope of the prophecies that God has given to us. This prophecy is entitled, Holy Roman Empire Reborn. It actually came to pass on November the 3rd of 2009. This was one of the five most important prophetic fulfillments in the last 2,000 years, ever since the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. One reason this prophecy is so absolutely important is because the Antichrist and the false prophet will both come out of this reborn Holy Roman Empire. So if we acquire an understanding of the Holy Roman Empire, we can know what's really happening in our world today. Now, the prophecy about the Holy Roman Empire reborn is given to us two different times in the scripture. One of the times is depicted as a woman riding on the back of a beast. It's interesting that the emblem outside the capital of the European Union in Brussels, Belgium, outside the parliament building, and you can see it here, is a bull with a woman, Europa, riding on the back. Well, in the scripture given to us to describe this very entity, and this scripture was given to us uh, 2,500 years ago, it uses the same type of symbolism, the woman on the back of the beast. It's nothing short of remarkable. Now, the prophecy is found in Daniel chapter number 2, verse 31 through 45. In order for us to really appreciate this prophecy, we need to take a moment to give the setting. This was the time of Israel's captivity to the Babylonians. This was happening because Israel had sinned and God's judgment was, I'm going to drive you into exile for 70 years. Among the first to go into exile was Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Very quickly, Daniel was found among the spiritual advisors to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Now, we need to understand that Babylon ruled the entire world of its day. So immediately, Daniel was thrust into a very important position. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar went to bed one evening and had a dream. Upon awakening the next morning, he remembered that he had dreamed a dream. It just really bothered him. He felt like it was an important dream, but he couldn't remember what he dreamed. Have you ever had the experience? Well, that's what happened to him. However, 
King Nebuchadnezzar was used to getting his way. And he thought, you know, I've been paying those astrologers and those wise men. I feed them every day. They're all on payroll. It's time for them to earn their money. So he sent for the chief among the wise men and said, I had a dream last evening. And the wise men said, no problem at all. You just tell us the dream, O king, and we'll tell you the interpretation thereof. Nebuchadnezzar said, well, that's where the problem is. I don't remember what I dreamed. I want you to tell me the dream and what it means. Well, now the chief wise man was very alarmed. He said, oh, king, no one has ever required this of his spiritual advisors before. Well, Nebuchadnezzar said, just what I thought. You're all a bunch of fakes. You're all a bunch of charlatans. I'm not feeding you another meal. And he issued the order on the spot to kill all the wise men in his realm. Well, This was bad news, of course. And they came to Daniel's home, knocked on his door, and said, we're here to uh, put you to death. Well, that's shocking news. So Daniel said, wait a minute. Um, I don't mind dying. I'm ready to die. But please tell me what this is all about. So they quickly related the story. Daniel said, stop your extermination program because I can't tell the king his dream, but I serve a God who reveals the secrets of men's hearts, and he can. And I'm going to seek him, and he's going to tell me the dream, and I will then tell it to King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, everyone breathed a sigh of relief, hoping that Daniel could, in fact, do this. Well, Daniel sent for his three friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew children. They fasted, they prayed. That evening, Daniel went to bed and dreamed a dream. When he awakened the next morning, He knew God had allowed him to dream Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And furthermore, God had given him the understanding of what it meant. So Daniel is quickly ushered into the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar to tell him the dream and the interpretation thereof. Now, I imagine there was a lot of apprehension in the palace that day in the throne room. Uh, Everyone was hoping that this young Jewish man that had come from Jerusalem in the captivity could really give the dream and the interpretation thereof. So this is what happened next. Daniel began to relate the dream. He said, what you really saw, King Nebuchadnezzar, you saw an image. And the image had a head of gold, arms and breasts of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron mingled with clay. And as you watched, a stone came rolling down out of the mountain, smote the image on the feet, and the whole image came crumbling down. It disintegrated, became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor, and was carried away by the wind. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar was astounded because have you ever forgotten something and then someone jogged your memory? Well, that's what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. As soon as Daniel began to tell him the dream, he began to remember the dream. And he said, Daniel, this is incredible. The God that you serve truly is able to reveal the secrets of men's hearts. So now Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the entire world, realizes there really is a true God. And there really are people who are in touch with that true God. And so this set the stage for many other things that would happen later on in Daniel's life in the kingdom of Babylon. But as Daniel explained the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, he began to fill in the details, fill in the blanks. And here's what he said. He said, 
First of all, these different segments, the head of gold, the arms and breasts of silver, the belly and thighs of brass, the legs of iron, the feet of iron mingled with clay, all symbolize empires. And they're not just any empires. They are empires starting with now until the, the coming of God to establish his kingdom upon the earth. These are empires that will rule the entire world. There will be many empires between now and then, but only five will obtain world dominion. And that's the reason there are five segments, sections of this image. Verse 39 of Daniel 2 actually gives us that clue. Listen to it. And after thee, Nebuchadnezzar, shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee and another third kingdom of brass. And here's the salient phrase, which shall bear rule over all the earth. So that's the qualifier to be in this prophecy. The kingdoms have to bear rule over all the earth. So then Daniel goes ahead to give the explanation. He said, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, and your kingdom of Babylon, you are the head of gold. And the whole world looks to you for leadership. But that won't go on forever because after you, there's going to arise another kingdom. Now, we know how this came to pass. It was in the days of Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar. Belshazzar was having a big feast. Now, in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, he had conquered Jerusalem and he had carried away the golden and the silver vessels that had been dedicated to the service of God in the temple. But in respect to Daniel and his God, Nebuchadnezzar had never done anything with these vessels. He simply put them in storage and left them there. However, Nebuchadnezzar did not pass his values on to his grandson. And so Belshazzar is partying one evening. And when Belshazzar partied as the king of the whole world, uh, he had big, amazing parties. So Belshazzar's partying, but by this time, he'd been through this so much. The booze was there, the drugs were there, but the party was sort of dragging. And Belshazzar thought, you know, I've got to take this to another level. He thought, what can I do? And he remembered those golden and those silver vessels that had never been touched, that were off limits. He decides He's going to push it to the edge. And he gives the order, go bring those vessels. We're going to use those to party with tonight. So they did. And undoubtedly, they got the most beautiful golden goblet for Belshazzar. They filled it to the brim with the finest wine. And the Bible says, when he tipped the glass to his lips, there came a scratching scratching sound over to his right. And he turned to see When he did, he saw the forefinger of a man's hand inscribing in the plaster in the wall a message. Now, let me tell you, that'll bring any good party to a screeching halt. Immediately, the people saw it, and they begin to head for the exits. Then Belshazzar, the Bible says, his knees begin to smite together in fear. He ordered a halt to the music. He said, someone, bring someone that can tell me what this means. Well, nobody could tell them. It was written in a different language than Belshazzar could read. So they began to put out the call. Is there anybody that can tell us? Someone stepped forward and said, O king, I remember in the day of your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, he had a dream that no one could reveal. But there was this man in the realm. His name was Daniel. He was of the Hebrews. And he told your grandfather the dream and the interpretation of the dream. I think he probably could help us here. Immediately they sent for Daniel. And when they sent for Daniel, he came before uh, Belshazzar. 
And there he gave Belshazzar the meaning. He said, first of all, the meaning is meanie, menial, tekel, eupharsin. That's the handwriting. Here's what it means. You are weighed in the balance and you are found wanting. This night, your kingdom will be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Well, that's exactly what happened. It happened in 539 BC. That's when the Medes and the Persians, that very night, they were in the process of invading. They overthrew the kingdom of Babylon that night. And from 539 BC until 331 BC, the Medes and the Persians ruled the entire world. Well, the prophecy goes on to say there's another segment. So let's review. Head of gold, Babylon, arms and breasts of silver, the Medes and the Persians. But now then let's look at the belly and thighs of brass. Alexander the Great came stampeding through the land in 331 BC. He conquered the empire of the Medes and the Persians. Alexander the Great actually conquered the known world of his day. By the time he was only 30 years of age, can you imagine that? And when he finally conquered the last outpost of resistance, history tells us he sat down and wept that there were no more worlds to conquer because he loved war more than anything. So that began the kingdom of the Grecians. And Greece ruled the world for the next couple of hundred years from 331 BC until about 197 BC. It was in 197 BC that the Romans defeated the Grecians and began to rule. Now the Romans were symbolized in the prophecy about all these world empires as the legs of iron. The Roman Empire was the strongest. It lasted the longest from 197 BC until around 284 AD. The Romans ruled the entire world. It was the Romans that ruled the world during the time of Jesus Christ. That's the reason there were Roman soldiers at the crucifixion of Jesus. Those were occupying forces that were there to enforce the will of the Roman government on the people of Israel. That's the reason the people would come to Jesus and say, should we pay the Roman tax? And of course, he knew it was a trick that if he said no, that the Romans would come and arrest him and take him away way for rebellion against the empire. So he just said, bring me a penny. They did. He said, whose inscription? They said, it's Caesar's picture on there. He said, okay, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render under, unto God the things that are God's. Now we come to the most important part of this prophecy. Notice when you move from each segment of the image, There's a total change of metal every time from gold to silver to brass to iron until you get to the last segment. You move from the legs of iron to the feet of iron mingled with clay. Now, this is very important because this time there's not a total change. This really helps us understand what the last empire is going to be. Because the last empire is not going to be the Roman Empire, but it's going to be related to the Roman Empire. The Roman element is kept as we move from 300 A.D. until finally 800 A.D. Because it was in 800 A.D. that the Holy Roman Empire was born. Now, the Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire are not the same empire. The Roman Empire was a totally secular empire. But the Holy Roman Empire, as its name depicts, is to be 
a union, an alliance of church and state, of politics and religion. The Holy Roman Empire was actually born in 800 AD when Pope Leo III placed the crown on the head of Charlemagne, announcing that he was now the emperor of, watch this, the Holy Roman Empire. So when the Bible depicts the feet of iron mingled with clay, the iron was the Roman element, but the clay was the religious element. Now they're joined together, and that's what happened on December the 25th, 800 AD, when Pope Leo III put the crown on the head of Charlemagne. Now from that time on, the Holy Roman Empire ruled the world pretty much for the next 1,000 years. And the leaders that ruled the Holy Roman Empire were always dual a dual leadership, always the political leader from Europe and the spiritual leader every single time from Italy. It was a combination of the political leader and the spiritual leader. And of course, the spiritual leader was always the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church of the Vatican. So this is depicting the Holy Roman Empire. Now, do you notice how the iron is now carried over from Roman Empire to Holy Roman Empire, and that empire continued for the next 1,000 years or so. Now, in the prophecy of Daniel chapter 2, it ultimately says that this stone comes rolling down out of the mountain and smites the image on the feet. That's a critical insight because it tells us the stone coming down on the mountain represents the kingdom of God coming, and he's going to come and destroy all of the governments of men. Many places in Scripture, we are taught that mankind will be allowed to rule himself until the time of the kingdom of God. Once mankind has been given time to learn that he doesn't know how to rule himself, then the Bible says God will come put down the thrones of men and establish his kingdom, a kingdom that will never pass away and never be destroyed. Well, that's what's depicted here by the stone rolling down on the mountain. It smites the image where? It smites the image on the feet. The feet were iron mingled with clay. The, the iron mingled with clay symbolizes the Holy Roman Empire. So this tells us that the Holy Roman Empire has to be in power at the time of the Messiah coming to put down the thrones of men and to establish his kingdom. This teaches us that Jesus will return to this earth during the time of the Holy Roman Empire. However, a lot of people say the Holy Roman Empire ceased to exist in 1806 with the last empire uh, decaying, the last element of the Holy Roman Empire, but it's not true. You and I have watched the rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire over the last 50 years, and most people did not even know what they were seeing. But we're going to understand it as we continue on through this lesson. Now, notice what it says in verse number 44 of Daniel chapter number 2. It states there, after talking about the feet and the toes of the image, it says, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. In the days of what kings? It just says this in verse 44. Well, it's talking about the days of the kings symbolized by the ten toes. The ten toes are the very last part of this entire world government structure from the time of 600 B.C. until the second coming of Jesus Christ to this earth to establish his kingdom. 
it's taught about the 10 kings that will be in coalition and support the Antichrist at the, the end time, at the time when Jesus Christ is to return to the earth. Now, the big question is, am I simply asserting this or is there biblical truth that that, in fact, is the interpretation of this prophecy? Well, let's go to another place in Scripture to get absolute proof that this is true. In Revelation chapter number 17, verse number 12, there's another prophecy of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Only here it depicts the 10 king alliance that will support the Antichrist as 10 horns instead of 10 toes. Now, the 10 toes of Daniel 2, verse 44, are the exact same thing as the 10 horns. It symbolizes the last 10 nation union that will give its support to the person who will rule the end time world government right before the second coming of Jesus. That person, of course, is the Antichrist. Let's read the passage of Revelation 17. And the 10 horns which thou sawest are 10 kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but they will receive power as kings one hour with the beast. The beast here is the end time world government and the Antichrist, that world leader that will rule the end time world government. These 10 kings receive power as kings one hour with the Antichrist. Now, does this literally mean 60 seconds when it says one hour? Of course not. It's a figure of speech. It's saying for a very short segment of time, these 10 kings will receive power for a very short period of time. And these have one mind. They shall give their power and strength unto the beast. We can already see what it means when it says one mind, like today. We hear a lot of people talking about the world community says Iran must do this or someone else must do this because there has now been a common mind established. Well, that's the way this is going to work, only it's going to become more and more pronounced as we get closer and closer to the second coming. So these have one mind and they give their power voluntarily and their strength unto the end time world dictator that we know of as the Antichrist. However, it goes on to say in verse 14 of Revelation chapter number 17, it says there that these 10 kings shall make war with the lamb. Now, who is the lamb? We all know that answer. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus Christ comes to establish his kingdom, these 10 kings in alliance with the Antichrist, they're actually going to fight against Jesus Christ at the time of his coming. These shall make war with the Lamb, Jesus Christ. You remember what John the Baptist said when Jesus came on the scene to be baptized? Remember, John looked up and saw him coming and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is the lamb. And when he comes back, they're going to actually resist him. And the Bible says, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Now, when Jesus comes back, by then we will have met him in the air. We will, the people who are part of the church of Jesus Christ, those who are born again, will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. We will then go with him. He's going to come down to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem 
for the battle of Armageddon. And that's where the world empires are going to resist Jesus Christ, but he will overcome them because he is Lord of all lords. He is king of all kings. And those with him are going to be called and chosen and faithful. Now, this is really important. If you want to be with him, now everybody is called. The Bible says many are called, but then it says few are chosen. Once you're called, then you need to conform your life to Jesus Christ and learn how to be his true disciple and walk with him. And then after you're called and after you're chosen, then it's critical that you be faithful. Here's what happened concerning the rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire. After World War II, the empires of Europe lay in ashes because of the plunder of Nazi Germany and of World War II. Great Britain, Germany, France, Italy, all the big powers of Europe were reduced to rubble. Now, these were the old traditional powers that ran the world, however. They didn't want to be left outside of the power equation of the world to come. There were two emerging nuclear superpowers, the Soviet Union and the United States of America. Winston Churchill foresaw that there had to be a radical realignment or else Europe would become irrelevant. He actually proposed in a speech shortly after World War II was over that there would be established a United States of Europe. He said in this day of the nuclear superpower, it takes 200 million population in order to have the population base and the economic resources to play ball in the day of the nuclear superpower. He said, we either forget our differences and unify as one in Europe, creating a United States of Europe. He actually used that term or else all of the power will move to the Soviet Union and the United States of America. Well, the old proud states of Europe were used to playing a central role in world affairs, and they did not want to be shunted to the side of history. Consequently, they made a decision. In 1957, there was a treaty signed called the Treaty of Rome. They created, with the signing of the Treaty of Rome, what's called the common market. The first goal was economic union, but that was not the ultimate goal. The leaders knew that economic union had to come first, but political union was sure to follow because once you join entities together economically, they have to pass laws to control and regulate their interaction, and ultimately you would build a body of laws that would become a political union as well as an economic union. So this was all set in motion by six nations. They signed the Treaty of Rome in 1957. Many others of the nations of Europe doubted that it would work, so they sat on the sidelines. However, it worked better than most people thought it could. Quickly, other people lined up to join this common market. They started with six, then there became nine, then there was 10, then there was 12, then there was 15. By 1992, all of the economic barriers were down so that you could raise crops in Germany and sell them in France, just like you could raise crops in Indiana and sell them in Illinois. 
all tariffs, all economic barriers were gone by 1992. And some people said, success. But the real leaders said, no, that's only phase one. Immediately, they called another meeting at Maastricht, Holland, and they formed a new treaty called the Maastricht Treaty. The goal of this treaty was to go from economic union to political union. Well, by 1999, they had their common money, the euro. All of you are familiar with the euro. By then, the European Union, by 2004, the European Union expanded to 25 member states. We're talking about 25 nations have now merged their economies, plus many of them had gotten rid of their money and adopted the common money of Europe, the euro. And by 2007, there were 27 members in what became known as the European Union. It wasn't the common market anymore because that phase was over. They now took upon themselves the name the European Union. And by 2007, they were the world's number one economic power. They had 500 million population with the greatest economic might on the face of the planet. Now, that was where they were at that point. But... The, the mission was not yet completed. We want to pause right now to ask this question because I'm painting a scenario here that I'm asking you to believe that the European Union was really the prophesied rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire, of the prophesied Holy Roman Empire, out of which the Antichrist, the false prophet, will soon emerge. Now, is that really true or am I simply reading something into this that's not there. Well, they decided they would start printing money. Their first money was printed in 1987, a coin called the ECU, the European Currency Unit. And when they decided to print their first money as the European Union, they were looking for someone's picture that would really convey the meaning of what was going on. I wonder, can you guess whose picture they chose to symbolize what was really taking place? Well, here's a copy of the coin. You can see it for yourself. They put the picture of Charlemagne. Remember, he was the first emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Pope Leo III placed the crown on his head on Christmas Day, December 25, 800 A.D. Now they decide to put his picture on their first coin. Was it because they understood that they were actually presiding over the rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire? You better believe. Now, that's not the only proof we have. Because they decided about this time that they would award a prize annually for the statesperson in the world that had done the most that year to promote European unification, the realization of their United States of Europe dream. They were looking for a name for this prize for European unification. And can you guess what they decided the prize should be called? Well, here it is. It's the Charlemagne Prize. It's given every year. Uh, right now, you can see a picture of President Clinton. He received the Charlemagne Prize in the year 2000. Why? Because... There was a problem with Yugoslavia. Europe had to have Yugoslavia as part of its United States of Europe, as part of its European Union. But Slobodan Milosevic didn't want to lose sovereignty, and he resisted being melted into the European Union. 
so he had to be removed. Well, President Clinton led the charge. He used the forces of NATO, and he took Slobodan Milosevic out of power. He ended up on trial before the World Court in The Hague, and today, you guessed it, Yugoslavia is now a part of the European Union, and President Clinton was given the prize for that. Actually, there were some interesting things said at the coronation of Clinton for that year's Charlemagne Prize. By the way, he went to Aachen, Germany, where the prize is awarded, and that's the home of Charlemagne. Still standing in Aachen is the cathedral he built in 800 A.D., and you actually see, see President Clinton there receiving the prize. And listen to some of the things that Clinton said in his acceptance speech. The job of building a united Europe is certainly not finished. And it is important not to take all this self-congratulation too far, Clinton said, in becoming only the third American to receive the prestigious International Charlemagne Prize for promoting European unity. So Clinton understood fully what this prize was about. He understood what he was doing when he led the charge against Slobodan Milosevic, and he understood he got the prize for bringing Yugoslavia into the United States of Europe. Well, that's not all. Not only do we have the picture of Charlemagne on the first coin, not only do we have the Charlemagne Prize, but the most influential publication in Europe is a periodical called The Economist. Some people refer to it as the periodical of kings and presidents. It's by far the most influential periodical in Europe. It's owned by Lord Rothschild. It comes out weekly. And The Economist magazine has now devoted over the past many years since the common market thrust was begun. They have devoted one page each week, each issue, to European unification, to the latest developments that week toward European unification. Now, can you possibly guess what they call this special page every week? Are you catching on yet? Here it is. They call it the Charlemagne page. Okay, do these people know what they're doing? Do they not? Oh, by the way, other nations are still lining up to join because the European Union is becoming more and more powerful, not only as an economic entity, but as a political union in the world. And many people still are making application to become a part of the European Union. Well, when they want to present their application, there is a special building in Brussels, which is the capital of the European Union. At Brussels, Belgium, there's a special building where they must apply and also where they must go to conduct the intricate negotiations required for them to become members of the European Union. Is there a chance that you might be able to guess what they call the building where they have to go to apply for membership in the European Union? Well, there it is. If you guessed Charlemagne building, then you are right. So the question is, do these people know what they're doing? Charlemagne on their first money? Charlemagne prize? Charlemagne page in the Economist magazine? Charlemagne building where you go? Hey, I think they know what they're doing. I think they know that they are presiding over the rebirth of of the Holy Roman Empire. Now there's one more thing that you need to look at because you can't have a nation unless you have a flag. Well, they have one. Here's their flag. If you look in the upper portion, you will see 
a blue flag with 12 gold stars superimposed on the flag. Now, immediately we say, what's that mean? Why do they have 12 stars? Somebody said, well, the U.S. flag, if we have 50 states, we have 50 stars. When we had 48 states, we had 48 stars. But they don't have 12 states. They now have 27, but they still have 12 stars. I actually asked the people at the visitor center at the parliament building in Brussels. I was on a tour there. Why do you only have 12 stars on your flag? And they looked at me dumbfounded. They said, well, we got 12 members. I said, no, you got 27 members now. They said, well, we don't know. Well, I found out why they have 12 stars. The flag designer, Mr. Arsene Heights, he's now over 80 years of age, but he designed the flag, and he wrote an article explaining why he designed the flag like he did. He did this because he believed that the Holy Roman Empire should have the holy element in it. And as a devout Catholic, he believed that the woman depicted in Revelation 12, verse 1 and 2, there's a woman there giving birth to a child with 12 stars about her head. He believed that that's the Virgin Mary there in Revelation 12, and so he should take the 12 stars from her head and put them on the flag, which sends a signal to those who understand these things. Europe is under the flag of Mary. The Catholic Church is very much alive and well and a part of the Holy Roman Empire. You're looking now at a picture of the Virgin Mary with the 12 stars about her head. This was taken from a church right there in Brussels, Belgium, and all over Europe, you'll see the 12 stars wherever you look. Now, beyond that, it's even interesting that they now have 12 stars on all the license plates of all the members of the European Union, and they now also have 12 stars on the euro, the money. So it's everywhere, and it's the symbol of the, remember, Holy Roman Empire, an alliance of church and state, of politics and religion. Now, there was one thing left that Europe needed to really be the United States of Europe or the European Union. They felt like they had to have a constitution. So they began to work on it. In October 29 of 2004, they actually signed a constitution. They got together and in the same room where the Treaty of Rome was signed to found the common market way back in 1957, they all, all the members, there were 25 at the time, they signed the Constitution. However, there was a real problem because all of the participating nations, all 25 of them, had to have a vote of all their people, and all of their people had to agree to this new Constitution. Well, can you imagine trying to get unanimous agreement among 25 nations? It was almost impossible. Well, it was impossible because in 2005, France held her referendum and the French people voted it down because they knew that this was going to mean the end of French sovereignty. Shortly thereafter, the people of Holland, they voted it down. So now then, Europe was, well, they were sent into two years of reassessment. What do we do now? We thought we just about had achieved our dream of the United States of Europe. We've been working on this since World War II. We've been working on this since the founding of the Holy Roman Empire. 
in uh, 1957, and now it looks like the whole thing has crumbled because of the short-sightedness of the French people and the Dutch people. And so they circled the wagons and thought, what can we do? However, you know how resourceful sometimes politicians can be. And some of the politicians said, you know, all is not lost. We'll never probably get enough votes to, for every single nation to approve it. But there's another way out of this impasse. You know, if we would convert this Constitution to a treaty and all of us adopt the treaty, we could get the same goal. And treaties do not require a referendum among all the people. So the idea was born. All 27 nations by now, on December the 13th of 2007, made their way to Lisbon, Portugal, and there they signed this new treaty, which everybody knew contained all the elements of the Constitution. But when is a Constitution not a Constitution? When the politicians say, oh, it's not a Constitution, it's a treaty. Abracadabra, we've got our problem solved. So all the nations signed. However, they still had to have ratification of the parliaments. They did not have to have a referendum, except for one problematic nation. Northern Ireland had it built in its constitution that it still had to hold a referendum. Well, nation after nation, France, Holland, they immediately started ratifying in their parliament. All's going well because now then the fate of the European Union is in the wiser hands of the politicians who know what's best for the people anyway when they don't know what's good for themselves. But when they got to the vote for Ireland, Ireland knew that this was the end of Irish sovereignty if they said yes, and they voted it down. So now we have one little nation spoiling the big dream. And quickly, the larger members of the European Union said to Ireland, if you want to stay in the European Union, you better find a way to change your vote. Well, they began to funnel money and they launched a huge public relations campaign, spent hundreds of millions of dollars. And a year or so later, the Irish people decided they better vote again. And by now, they're in the middle of the economic crisis of 2008. And they begin to think, what if we were all out here all by ourselves? We have the protection of the European Union. You know, maybe it's a good thing for us to be a part of the European Union. So the vote was held again. And sure enough, it was approved. Quickly, the few holdouts begin to ratify. And then on November the 3rd, 2009, the last nation to ratify was the nation of the Czech Republic. They ratified. And when they did, the Holy Roman Empire was reborn. November 3rd, 2009, the entity that is to be in power on this earth at the time of the Antichrist, the false prophet, the entity that's to be in power on this earth at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ was born and it is now born today. Now, we're going to a video clip right now and you're going to actually witness the signing. Now, notice the signing is held in a monastery. Why there? That's interesting. Is that have something to do with religion and politics? Here all these political leaders are at this monastery and you're actually going to watch as world leader after world leader places their signature on this document. Notice how historic it is. Notice how much importance 
they're placing in all this. And they, they're right. They know what they're doing. They know that this is a huge turning point that they are giving birth to the Holy Roman Empire once again. Watch this. This enlarged European Union. Finally, the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. There's going to be a Mr. Europe, uh, if you like, a permanent president and a foreign minister of Europe. And those people are designed by this treaty to get more power over time so that Europe becomes more centralized, so that more power passes to Brussels away from the nation states. And we think that that is taking Europe in the wrong direction. So there you have it. You just witnessed the signing of the treaty of the Constitution of the United States of Europe. America has its Constitution. Now the European Union has its Constitution. The last member, as we stated earlier, ratified on November the 3rd, 2009. And so those people who think the Holy Roman Empire ceased to exist in 1806 are in for a big surprise because we have just witnessed over the last 50 years, the reformation and now the rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire. Now, one of the things that the Lisbon Treaty provides for is once the Constitution is signed, that Europe will have its own permanent president and its own permanent foreign minister, just like the United States of America has a U.S. president and its own secretary of state. Europe is now going to have its own. Well, that came to pass a couple of weeks after the final signing of the Constitution, because on November the 19th, 2009, Herman von Rompuy of Belgium was chosen to be the first permanent president of the European Union, and Catherine Ashton of Great Britain was chosen to be the first foreign minister. So here we are. The time has not arrived. Not everything is fully in place yet. We don't understand fully where the 10-nation union is going to come from, but we will see it very soon. So where are we and what does all this mean to you and me right now? What it means is that the prophesied rebirth of the Holy Roman Empire is now completed. Here you see in Revelation chapter 17, another picture of the Holy Roman Empire. 
Only this time, we have the world governmental system depicted as, as a beast having seven heads and ten horns. All of those have been explained in previous lessons here at End of the Age. However, it shows this woman, which is a symbol of the Vatican, riding on the back of this world government system. This will be the power of the Antichrist. It will be a union of politics and religion. Now, a lot of people are wondering, will the Antichrist possibly be a Muslim? Not according to this Holy Roman Empire prophecy. It clearly depicts that out of this 10-nation union, remember the 10 horns symbolized with the 10 toes? It says that the Antichrist will come up among those, that there will be another horn that uproots three of those kings, and that man will be the Antichrist. This gives us absolute proof that the Antichrist will come out of the iron meal with clay, out of the beast ridden by the woman. Remember the picture outside the parliament building in Brussels, outside the parliament of the EU, Europa on the back of the bull, very much similar to what you're witnessing right now. So this shows us that on November the 3rd of 2009, the Holy Roman Empire was in fact reborn, just like the prophecy of Daniel 2, just like the prophecy of Revelation chapter 17. The Bible says it's during the, this era that Jesus Christ will come back to this earth, that the Antichrist will have his three and a half year reign, that the false prophet will rule with him, and that Jesus Christ will come. Well, the Holy Roman Empire is reborn today. My question, can the Antichrist and the false prophet be far behind? All right. Good lesson. Yes. Do you think that the uh, the union of 10 nations could come out of the ratified 27 nation states and, and 17 pull out? I believe I believe we'll more, more likely we'll see a 10 nation union inside of the 27 now remember, um, at the time of this video shooting, it was like 2010 or so. Um, since then, the United Kingdom has pulled out of the European Union. So I don't know if they've had anybody else join since then, but um, it's it's now a 26 or 27, 26 or maybe back up to 27, but it's not 20. Uh, anyways, the United Kingdom is, not, is no longer part of it. Now, they've kind of pulled a slick maneuver in the last few months. Um, the same movement, kind of a nationalist populist movement like we had here with Donald Trump, took root in the United Kingdom. And they that's what brought about Brexit. They brought in Boris Johnson. Um, finally, when Boris Johnson stepped aside, they voted in a very conservative prime minister, and, and her, her name is escaping me, but it isn't all that relevant, I suppose, because she was only the prime minister for 45 days, I think. And she quickly stepped aside when a lot of things just broke loose in parliament, in their parliament. Um, people started resigning and leaving, and 
she quickly realized that she was left powerless. So after just, I think, 45 days, she just stepped aside. And everybody started saying, well, who's the next? Everybody said, well, let's put Boris Johnson back in. He didn't want any part of it. And by the time all the smoke cleared, and I can't remember the guy's name, but this guy you'd never really heard much about rose to power under the conservative flag, but he's not a conservative at all. He's a big globalist. And so now all of a sudden it's back to globalist United Kingdom, globalist Great Britain, um, which was no surprise to me because, or anybody that studies this, because we know that that combo beast has a mouth of the lion. So the lion is definitely going to be a part of the combo beast of the one world government or of the, of the European Union that um, the Antichrist will have full control of. So the end result, we already know. We just, we're just watching it come to pass and how it gets there. But I believe the Ten Nation Alliance will come from within side of that Holy Roman Empire because the ten toes of that Holy Roman Empire segment on that statue in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it was the Holy Roman Empire segment of the statue that had the ten toes. So I believe those ten toes um, will be a, an alliance inside of the European Union. So you could, you believe it was, is a part of that 27 nation states? You don't think that 17 will pull out and that would become the 10? No, I think probably um, 10 nations will just form some sort of a... I, I would look for it to... It's not necessarily scriptural, I guess, but... I would look for it to be a military type alliance, and we've we have precedence of that. And again, my memory's a little bit short on. Um, I posted something on Prophecy Views Facebook page several months ago. There is an alliance that Great Britain formed a few years ago that I was unaware of. I can't remember the name of it, but to this day, it's a ten nation military alliance. It's sort of like NATO, but within the European Union. Um, one that got my attention back in the day when I, mean, I talked about it at church was um, when when Trump was president, he started kind of letting the United States take a back seat to NATO. We, we weren't so much. He wanted the European states that were getting the benefit of NATO to start funding NATO more themselves because we've always played the big. We've always been the big check writer of everything we've been involved in, and Trump wanted us to back out of some of this stuff. And that made um, the president of France a little nervous, and his name was his name is Emmanuel Macron. He wasn't real happy with it, so he formed what's called the EII, the European Intervention Initiative. And that, when, it, when he announced that in, um, I want to say it was June of 19, it was a 10-nation military alliance that they had gotten together sort of a mini NATO because they were pretty nervous about Trump pulling out of NATO. And so, and you know, in the United States, administrations come and go and we'll take, uh, we'll have a right administration for a while and then a left administration for a while. And as Israel has found out over the past several decades, for a short period of time, we'll be real big with Israel and then another president will come in and not so much big with Israel. And so, Nations have learned not to necessarily rely on on the United States. I mean, look at Ukraine, for example. Um, we always said that we would back, what nation was it? 
that Russia invaded a few years ago. It was one of their, it used to be part of the USSR, but um, when it came down to the USSR collapsing and became Russia, some of those Baltic states kind of fell off to the wayside. But um, I want to say Yugoslavia, but I can't remember, or Georgia. But Russia came in and, and attacked, and we always said, anytime that Russia attacks you, it'll be like an attack on us, and we will stand up for you. Well, we didn't. We sent them some T-shirts and sleeping bags and said, you know, good luck to you. So nations are starting, same thing with Ukraine, we're not really stepping up and helping them um, like we claim that we would do. Um, and if we say we're going to do something, we should do it. Um, but no, I believe the 10-nation union will come from within, within the 27-nation. But now remember, there's also going to be one other factor to remember. We have a sixth trumpet war coming up that's going to wipe out a third of the human race. Now, I believe a lot of that's probably going to be China, a few other nations, but there may be some nations inside of Europe that get heavily, heavily hit and may not have much of an existence or any power for that nation after the sixth trumpet war. We don't know 100% of what the world looks like after that. We can take some scripture and know what nations have some power, but it doesn't leave us a lot of picture of the rest of the world that's not mentioned in prophecy um, for that final three and a half years. We don't have a picture of everything that, you know, of every nation that, that's on the face of the earth. Is Catlin over there? Yeah. Keep an eye online on the Prophecy Views page on this post with this live link. See if anybody posts a question for me. I guess I could probably do that from here. I don't know if I can or not. Maybe not. So if you're online, you're welcome to post a question and we will with, read it. With Russia, like you're trying to overtake Ukraine, with them doing this now, are they trying to basically kind of get the USSR back? And then in that case, it would knock out a bunch of the other countries that would make the 10 nations? Well, the answer to, to that, according to Putin, is yes. He believes that the USSR should never have collapsed. He was um, former head of the KGB. Right. And so he thinks everything should go back to that. That would take several of the nations and make it one, is that correct? I want to say three, but I'm not sure that I'm right about that. I need to look it up, two or three. Um, but the reason I'm keeping an eye on it is because one of the potentials for the Antichrist in the short list that I have is Putin. Now, Putin is no longer as young as he was, but he's still in pretty good health. Um, there's been some rumor that maybe he has some health issues that our government has been spreading. We, I don't know if it's true or not true, but one of the potentials for Antichrist was Putin. So you're talking about this 10-nation alliance, and if you read the scripture of that, it says... In a, it was the ten horns, and it says, an eleventh horn, not of the original ten, will wax great. It'll uproot three of the original ten horns and wax great and become the Antichrist. So that's what we're looking for. But it tells us that that eleventh horn is not of the original ten. So it's not one of the ten wiping out three. And the reason that catches my mind, because if you go into Daniel 
chapter 7, it talks about the same beast that we see in Revelation 13 in the combo beast, the one world government beast, the same beast. We see them back in Daniel 7, and he tells us there that those beasts are nations. And the bear, which we know symbolizes Russia, he's got three ribs in his mouth. And I've always oh. wondered, I, I, oh. there, there's no scripture to tie it together, but I've always wondered if the three ribs in the, oh my goodness. In, the ri in the mouth of the bear is not the same, but the same as the as the three horns that the yes. Antichrist uproots to become. Totally. It makes sense, but it may not be. It may be something separate. Scripture maybe doesn't tie just, them together. Maybe because they were in his mouth, he just identified them as ribs versus horns. Well, he specifically says ribs, and I believe that Scripture tells us what God's trying to tell us what he's trying to tell us in Scripture. But it says the bear will devour and eat much flesh, right? And but, Russia has. Yeah. Even amongst itself. So that totally makes sense. And, it does make sense. And I've, I've seen a lot of videos on Putin. He's very influential, especially within the UN. And he puts up with no guff in his own nation. Yeah. None. He's the top dog, period. Now, the thing that strikes me odd is, as powerful as I thought Russia would have been militarily, they've really played hob trying to take over Ukraine. Now, they've withheld any nukes that we know about. We've, they've withheld even uh, because we would be able to detect it with satellite. Um, there's been no indication that they've even used any tactical nukes. Because we could read that there would be a reading given off, and we could pick that up by satellite if he had used any. There's not been any, any indication of that. But he's really stretched himself thin just trying to take Ukraine over. Now, Ukraine has a pretty large landmass to it as far as that goes, but um, I'm surprised at how much of a tough time they've had taking trying to take over Ukraine. And I, I at this point in time, I don't see it happening. That they're they're gonna, praying you know, people. They are godly praying people. Well, maybe the people within Ukraine itself, I, I wouldn't argue that, but the government's very corrupt. Yeah. And they, they are tied in with the Biden administration. Yeah. And one of the things that, I mean, again, I'm no fan of Putin, but that doesn't mean somebody that's bad like that doesn't say a truth every now and then. And as he came into Ukraine initially and started barreling his way through Ukraine, he let the world know that one of the things that they took over was a bio lab that the U.S. and Ukraine had together in combination in Ukraine, another bio lab just like what escaped the covid pandemic that everybody should get your vaccine please everybody get your vaccine just so youtube likes to hear that so they don't kick me off like they did the last one any other questions in that i i just gotta say about putin again i'm sorry no but, please okay so watching these videos and I don't know how I got stuck on maybe it was because Trump at the time and I was watching a lot of the unions the you know the United Nations stuff they constantly were asking him questions they wanted to know what he thought and he would just nod his head and go and he was completely in control I mean I, there was something about it that just said to me this man could be the Antichrist. Just he has he a had, lot of tendencies of the he Antichrist. He had complete control in that mm -hmm. that meeting. Agreed. And they all, every every last leader wanted to know what he, he thought about whatever, whatever mm -hmm. it was.
all kinds of stuff they were bringing up. I was like, whoa, that was, it was just too powerful to me. Nope, that's right. And, and it, and it's right to keep our eye on Putin or whoever the leader would become in Russia because they're going to play a big part. And a lot of this end time prophecy, including the battle of Armageddon. So they're going to, we know that they're going to be around after the sixth trumpet war because they're specified to come against Jerusalem at the battle of Armageddon. So it's wise to keep your eye on Russia. So there are indications that, um, there are indications about who the Antichrist no. will be or where maybe he will come from that can already let us know who it won't be. There are some deeper studies. Um, one of my friends from Texas, a couple of my friends from Texas have joined me on that study. Um, it's nothing that I have in front of me, but I did kind of a... Um, so if you look at Alexander the Great, and if, if Scripture's talking about him like I believe it is, I can't remember if that's in Zechariah or if that's in Daniel, but um, it starts talking about, so when, when um, Alexander the Great, he had conquered all of the known world at that time. Remember, because he wept that there was no more worlds to be conquered, no more nations to be conquered. And he was pretty young, and he died unexpectedly. And he had four generals. So his kingdom got split into four kingdoms, if you will, into four parcels. And if that's if that's what scripture's talking about, it appears that you could line it up to to a segment of land just north of, I want to say just north of Greece kind of in that section of land north of Greece, north of Italy, north of Greece. There's two or three different inferences where the Antichrist may come from, and there's been some study on this. Um, and I've done some on my own, and I keep circling in on, this, on these small countries north of Greece, maybe even Greece, the northern part of Greece. But Greece... On a, because you have to remember the boundaries today aren't the same as they were back back then. And then also, like, it may not, I mean, may or may not be super prevalent that this person is, like, say it is Greece, okay? Like, it may be something where, wow, we didn't know he was actually from Greece, kind of like a thing like that. Or will it be, do you think, like, he's from Greece? Oh, I, whatever, whatever the area, whatever it does make sense. Will it, will it be like a? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna claim infallibility by any means on saying it's, he's gonna come from the countries, uh, including Greece and just north of there. And I don't remember the, I don't remember my geography that well, but I'm not going to claim infallibility on that. I don't believe I have it nailed down enough that I would claim that. I mean, do you think when? Whenever we do, know, like, whenever it is getting to where it's a little more like, okay. Because I know going... you had said once, or I think, like, it'd get to a time where certain people that are, are up on their game are going to be like, okay, that's definitely him. Well. When it gets to that point, do you think? I think there's going to be people claiming to know, and I'm not saying there's not going to be some people that will end up guessing correctly. 
Um, there, we're going to have a lesson coming up that's going to deal specifically with who the false prophet is and who the Antichrist is. And we're going to, you'll have an outline that'll give you definite clues as to who the Antichrist is. But be careful because when you're dealing with people out in the world or in, in a false type prophecy understanding, they're going to tell you falsities like, um, one of the big falsities out there is the Antichrist is going to have a deadly wound himself, and he was healed. It's not what Scripture yeah. says. It's talk. That's talking about the head of the leopard, mm -hmm. and we know that that was the Berlin Wall. Yeah, that was a nation beast, not the Antichrist himself. Yeah, Scripture is very plain about that. Right. The Antichrist does not have a deadly wound that was healed. Germany does. But that's a big falsity that's out so, there. Like people how did say, they get it switch? How did they get it uh, mixed up so quickly? There's a lot of people that gloss over a scripture real quick, and they believe they found something nobody else has found, and and they simply want to be known for whatever. And so, like, there are people who are like that say, like, oh, a former president is gonna rise back up and be the Antichrist, or something like that we can already know like because of things we've studied no because definitely the antichrist is going to be somewhere from here and that person is not so i guess what i'm saying is like is there like some kind of like sneaky thing later we'll be like wow we didn't know that like genetically they have roots there it's not you don't think it'd be anything like that do you i don't I believe he's going to come out of the Holy Roman Empire? Um, but it won't when we see this 10 nation alliance, and if we can spot that, we he won't be from those 10, it'll be an 11th horn, not of the original 10. Um, but there are things that we do know, for instance, he when they have a when we see, we'll know for sure who the Antichrist is at the, the halfway point of the final seven years. Three and a half years in, three and a half years left. Scripture tells us that he will stand in the temple of God claiming to be God. And from that moment on, it's the Great Tribulation and it's three and a half years. We have six different scriptures that tells us that. Yes. So at that moment in time, when the Antichrist stands in the newly built temple claiming to be God, we will know for everybody, we'll know for a fact, everybody that knows scripture. And we looked at a news story today that says... The United States is losing its Christian population rapidly, mm -hmm. but um, people that are watching signs and know what they're looking for, they'll know that he's the Antichrist at that moment for sure. <laughs> but there are some signs that we could narrow it down possibly prior to that. We know that he's going to be involved in the signing of the peace agreement that will start the final seven years to the Battle of Armageddon. So three and a half years before he reveals himself, he's going to be involved in that peace agreement. And Daniel 9.27 tells us that's the peace agreement. It says, he will confirm the covenant with many for a seven-year period, a week of years, a seven-year period. Right. But it, it, he's going to be on this world stage with many leaders. It says, he will confirm the covenant with many. And that's Daniel 9.27. Yep, that was from Eric. We'll, we'll be able to, based on that point, we'll be able to be like, well, it's one of these guys. Correct. We will know, at that point, we'll know he's got to be in that group. 
Yeah. If they do a one big signing ceremony thing. Yeah. yeah. And do we need to panic then? I'm not going to no, panic ever. It. I'm not going to panic about it at all. Um, Jesus said, I tell you these things so that when they come to pass, you might believe. I mean, will people panic? I guess I should have said, will people, will, will, will there be a panic? No, because people are going to think it's a great thing when they see this peace agreement that's never been able to be reached before. If they're, if they're Christianity's dropping so quick anyway, they're not going to really care. You might be like more or less like a, considered like a biblical conspiracy theorist, if you will. Right. And you're already seeing that happen. Because, well, like, I've heard, uh, like, Islam is the fastest growing religion at this point. It's really where we stand right now. What, I've heard. what was that last thing? I've heard that Islam is the fastest growing religion that's growing rapidly. I know that, like, up in Chicago is prominently Muslim. Mm hmm. So I guess wow. I'm thinking what Michelle is saying is kind of like with Obama. Suddenly, out of the clear blue, we get a president. We're like, what? Where'd he come from? And then he wasn't even from this country. Thank so that, and that. that what you're kind of trying to say, Michelle? Yeah, I was trying to say like a former president. I but, believe I... Well, or for somebody coming out of the clear blue, and then we're like, oh, well, he's a Muslim? You know what I'm saying? Something like that. We're like, what, where'd he come from? Yeah, he proclaimed that yeah. the United States was a Muslim nation. Um, I always get a kick because anytime Obama's name comes up as a possible Antichrist, it takes me back to, uh, I don't know, about 2010 or 11. Some guy called into Irvin Baxter's show on a Friday and said, and, and I'll agree 100% with, with what Pastor Baxter taught, the Antichrist cannot be a U.S. president. He will come out of the Holy Roman Empire. Um and there's no chance a U.S. a former U.S. president could become somebody that's in not the unless he becomes a leader in Europe somehow. And that's not a possibility. I mean, that would be such a tremendous. There's plenty of people that are antichrist-like that it doesn't have to be Obama. And my point to that kind of goes along with it. This guy calls into into the Age Show one afternoon, and he told Brother Baxter, he said, "I know you don't think." Obama can be the Antichrist, but you got to admit, he's been employed a month a time or two. I got the biggest kick out. <laughs> but look at this, even look at this current Pope. The, the direction that this current Pope is taking the Catholic Church, and he's aligning the Catholic Church up with the one world government, pointing heavily at it. Well, if you look at the description in the latter part of Revelation 13, it talks about he's going to be telling the one world religion is going to be telling everybody pay attention to this guy. Pay attention to this beast and its leader, you know, the one world government and its leader. And um, you're starting to see these type of leaders and it's not going to be that person but that entity, that body, if you will, going in that exact direction that Scripture says it, it's going to go and end up. And at the and I don't believe this Pope is going to be the Pope at the time. Whoever the Pope is, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, whoever the Pope is will be the false prophet. We're going to go through Scripture on that. Right. So, backing up a little bit, when you were talking about, like, at the final three and a half years, when we will know who 
the Antichrist is and like the article you guys were reading, I think part of the reason that we're becoming so unchristian so quickly is because by the time the generation, like, you know, I was talking to the kids the other day, like their generation isn't that far off from being the next church. And they're so desensitized that they're not going to have any desire to have a church anymore. And I think that is going to be part of that. I feel like that's going to be part of that, maybe what you're talking about. But also, I do believe that when they think that he's just going to, people are going to think he's just going to, it's going to be a great thing. No, they will. I believe, sure. I believe it will be all ages of people that are like currently have been living their life for God for years and years and years. I think that's going to be part of that, like even the very elect. And scripture says, if possible, at that time, even the very elect would be deceived. Um, I think it was you that was talking about it a while ago, and I'll just emphasize it a little bit. Um, yes, a lot of people are, Christianity is losing a lot of people, but remember, if you look at quote-unquote Christianity in Matthew 7, Jesus was talking about the Christian community as a whole, not necessarily at the end time, but throughout time. And it's going to be even more so because we can point to other scripture that mimics that or mirrors what he's saying. And he says, broad is the way that leads to destruction. He's talking about churches. He's talking about Christian, quote-unquote, Christian churches. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that, that go down that path, that go there. And straight is the way and narrow is the gate, and few there be that find it. In the very next verse, he says, beware of false prophets. And we see that today. We see churches that are not teaching truth. We see churches that are every part of the spectrum other than being saved. And I'm talking people that are saying um, homosexuals can be in the pulpit. And I know I'm probably getting onto a touchy subject, but... They're okaying all this stuff all the way up to the short side of the spectrum of people saying, this is all you have to do to be saved. But they they still try to live a good life and stuff, but they're not taking people all the way across the goal line. They're taking people to the five-yard line and telling them they're saved. All you have to do is believe. Say this prayer of repentance and believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you are now saved. Congratulations. Well, congratulations to you, because you just took somebody to the 10-yard line and told them they're saved, and they need no more. Now they're twice the child of hell, Scripture says, than if you hadn't told them anything at all. Because now you have to get them unconvinced of a false religion to get them into a true religion. Exactly. And that's what I think we're seeing arise in, where, you know, Satan doesn't care if you're, if you're, you could your church can prosper and grow because it's it's all hypocrisy or a lie. Mm -hmm. You're not following the truth. It's like and, we were talking the other day. It's easier to get someone to. It's it's hard to get someone to believe that they've been deceived than if they, they know nothing at all. Than if they knew nothing at all. Oh yeah. And now part two of that rant is there's a there's a revival coming, a big one, because Revelation says what was it? We looked it up the other night. Revelation. Five or six? It was seven. Seven. Five or seven. Se seven. It was seven. Revelation 7 tells us that there's a great multitude from every nation, every kindred, every tongue 
that came through the great tribulation, and it's a multitude that no man could number. Yeah, I think it's 79. And they've had their robes washed and they're sanctified. Well, you can't have your robe washed that's washed in the blood of the Lamb. You can't have that if you're part of the false Christian movement. That you didn't you didn't cut it. So there's a tremendous revival coming through this final time frame that we're in. Yeah. And you know, there will be those that will keep up teachers having itching ears to teach them what they want. So yes. if they will be deceived because they receive not a love for truth. Right. For those coming into this, you know, like you said, I can believe and be saved. And it's hard to reach those people. They have to have a love for truth, first of all, and not try to heap up teachers because they want to hear what they want to hear. Right. That's exactly So, right. and it's... Uh, and all you have to do really is take what Jesus to told Nicodemus and marry it and mimic it to what Peter said in Acts 2.38. They line up. Be, you have to be born again. Be born of the water and the spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus. Peter said the same thing. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I feel like the churches are kind of like build your own Bible churches anymore. Like, mm -hmm. um, what do you what do you want to believe, and what do you want to live by? And you just kind of like Google a church that is okay with this and this and this. The belief says, and boom, it pops up, and then you've got it. You can go on Facebook. Hey, uh, are you going to be okay with my homosexual child? I saw that. Oh. I saw that. Yeah. I was thinking, I just had that in my, my head. Did you, you see it? Oh, I read that. Ooh, that was entertaining. Well, wow. By the time I saw the post, the comments had been shut off. But yeah, well, there was some good. people in there trying good. to lovingly talk to her. Yeah. I thought loving, yeah. very lovingly. Yeah. I, because look, with truth, I may tell you something that you don't want to hear. But okay. I love you, and I want you Good. to be saved desperately. Good. Was this but, a local person? Yes, it was a Highland discussion group. Okay. Was, I don't know. I'm not going to say it was the Highland. It was a Highland it was. page. So they were trying to reach, reach them with compassion and truth. Yes. But they got shut off. Yes. The whole thing that it it got, it got out of hand because of the, you know, just let people be the way they want to be whatever uh, you know kind of thing but they, they end up having to shut the whole i think the they whole... shut the comment they may have even since then taken the whole thing down but yeah i don't know anyway well it's it's becoming it's becoming like that the churches are baptizing you know you've got to have your heart they're baptizing whoever like if, if somebody like say they wanted you know like i am no longer a girl i'm a boy or vice versa and I come to your church, and that's how I'm living my Holy life. Chosen and, and I want to be baptized. There are churches that profess to have the truth that are baptizing people as as their new gender. Really? Oh, yes. So, you yes. know, and I know our, not just Brother Crossing, but churches of the apostolic faith have, have baptized people before they maybe officially repented. But later they either repented or just left because they didn't really want it but to me something like that they need to show and i don't know shouldn't they show some repentance of some kind before you just go baptizing someone like i don't that? know if there's my... is there any scripture that people haven't repented before they got baptized there's scripture that people have received the holy ghost yeah no you have to repent first. before you're baptized 
And I think what's it, otherwise it nullifies the point of giving back. Exactly right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's repent and be baptized. You're just taking a bath. I think you're correct. wet. Exactly. You just got not. You're still getting I mean, I wet. think if if you're a pastor and somebody comes to you and and they've been teaching you a Bible study on baptism and and you've been coming and they've been maybe counseling or doing a Bible study with you on the side of some other sort that is like, hey, I'm struggling. I've lived this lifestyle. I, I see that it's wrong. I don't want to live it anymore. And I feel like I need to be baptized uh, to repent of it. I could see that being something that's done. But from from my understanding, it's just I, you know, I was, you know, Joni and now I'm John and I feel like as John I've sinned and I want to be baptized and they're getting baptized as John which really to me almost solidifies in their mind that it's okay to be like yes but then they should kind of like baptizing your imaginary friend yeah and, you know exactly Joni's the only one that really matters you know exactly right. yeah Joni Some weird stuff out there Joni yeah. to repent. Do you so <laughs> And then, you know, and I got to say this too, I haven't seen a lot of it, but I've seen a few just clips where they're saying, I've transformed, but I regret it and I want to change. Uh, yeah, I've seen a few. Or they have changed back to their original person, but they've regretted it. And, and I, I saw an article today about that. I believe there's totally. Absolutely. Yeah. But you got to be careful because. Those. Scripture tells us, I will give you over to a reprobate mind, and yeah. I will I will cause you to believe a lie and send be damned. You, send you strong delusions. Yes. I'll send you strong delusions. I do believe that there's going to be influx of people that have lived their life like that and even, even done and regret, even done irreversible things, you know, which God, God could, God could he heal and restore and do anything. anything he wants. But I believe for some that may not be the case and they'll live with that as a reminder. And we are going to have to, as the church, help them through that, 100%. Uh, that realization and the emotional damage yeah. and, you know, and don't I mean, we, yeah, just kind of like if, like, say I, you know, came from, from Hollywood and, you know, Beverly Hills and I had just done, you know, as a lady done all kinds of augmentation and, and then I realized later that that's wrong. You know, I would have, you can't, you know, what do you do? So well, it's no different than people that get tattoos. And I mean, tattoos aren't okay. <laughs> so, having said that, you're getting your face tattoo in the next couple of days or? Well, not. I've seen people <laughs> with tattoos up their neck and on their face come out of that water speaking. In yes. Yes. Yeah. And that's just part of your testimony. No, I, right. yeah. Yeah, but after after salvation, I don't think, yeah, yeah. tattoos are, There's are a good idea. And God says, what tattoos? I said, you got a testimony, don't you? She said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Very sweet. I was praying with her this year, and she was just crying, sobbing just over her children. She's got six children that are homosexuality, depression, drug addiction, just all over the place, and she just wants to see them saved, but. She's got a testimony, and there's these people. These Satan is not trans, on cruise control. Whatever they are anymore, he's he is no swallowing people up. Yeah, he is destroying, but devouring. Just like Michelle said, there's going to be those people that are going to come out of this stuff. And my thoughts are, they're going to look at this media and the deception they brought and yep. go, they have lied. They have 
because they've infiltrated people's minds. You know, there was a um, something I saw the other day where I work. Um, he watches all that junk news. But it said, our former president incited violence in the White House. You know, that's a lie. So anyway. Better be careful. And then it said, this is going to incite more violence throughout our country. Who's inciting that? Right. That right there. So that's the kind of stuff that's inciting racism. And all of this bull. So people like that are going to go, wait a minute. They've infiltrated me with all these lies. I am I am who I am. I am not the opposite. And there are people waking up from that every day. Yes. yes. And I, But unfortunately, it appears that, I'm not saying people in Europe aren't waking up, but people in Europe have got a whole other problem because it, it appears the United States, the people that love the truth, are still going to have a voice in the United States. It appears that we're going to be going against the Antichrist, protecting Israel from the face of the serpent. It's not going to be such an easy task in Europe. People that are under the heavy boot heel of the Antichrist, he's going to kill a lot of them. And that's going to be a hard thing for people to make that. There are literally going to be people in Europe that are going to be making a life and death decision well, and to follow Christ. China. I mean, there's underground every day that they, yeah, every day. Yeah, I know this isn't it just just the way China operates. I just saw a clip the other day and uh, so like TikTok, some guy was talking and he looked like maybe he was Middle Eastern, the guy talking. And he was like, you know, you know what China China developed TikTok. And he said, you know, they have two different algorithms. So if you're in China and you watch TikTok, the TikTok algorithm there, what you see, the videos that come up, are um, all basically self-help. Like how to be successful, how to be a better, all, everything about being better mentally. Mm -hmm. And he said all the rest of the videos that are junk are what we watch here in America. And he's like, because that's that's their agenda. Dumb you down. Dumb us down and smarten them up. And I was just like... And it is stupid stuff. You're like, what? Yeah, why it is because they were just like it. it like it's, a, it's not anything that's like necessarily bad. It's just like they said, you know, TikTok it wastes time. But um, no, it was like interesting when I was talking about the dealing with people that come in. Brittany had brought that to my attention. She had heard it a while back at a conference or something. Uh, one of the ministers was speaking about something regarding that and. She's like, it did, it did, it made sense, but it didn't make sense. She's like, in a, and then like now she's like, I, I see where it's, it's going to come into play. What he said is making more sense. And I was like, it's just coming to that time. I don't know how far the United States is going to go down this road of communism, but there's going to come a time when we turn out, we pull out of it. Um, I think it'll probably be a very obvious situation for those that are wanting to see it, that it'll be a God thing, that we come out. Um, and it appears that right now, if we come out of it, it'd be a God thing, because they appear to have control over our election system. and Everything. 
and elect election wise there doesn't seem to be a way out now just like with our state with our state and some other more you know democratic states in general like illinois just all of a sudden got very heavy-handed on you know like weapons bans and stuff and mm -hmm. going after right very broad spectrum of what will be allowed to have here you know here in illinois with, as far as concerning firearms one thing i wanted to you done is that it mm -hmm. one thing i wanted to reiterate that we talked about last week <clears throat> there's a belief out there that um when the great tribulation starts and the people that believe this believe there's a seven-year great tribulation and there is not one scripture that talks about a seven-year tribulation or great tribulation there's a seven-year period in daniel 9 27 it does not refer to it as tribulation or great tribulation but there are six scriptures that tell us it's three and a half years long it's the final three and a half years the last half of that final seven years Having said that, there's a belief out there that at that point in time when the tribulation starts, God's spirit will be taken out of the earth, and that is incorrect. Here's one more proof of that after what we covered last week. Here's another proof to it. What's the three steps that it takes to be born again? Repentance, Repentance water baptism, and, and infilling of the Holy Ghost. There is a multitude that no man could number in Revelation 7 from every nation, every kindred, every tongue, that come through the Great Tribulation saved. The only way to be saved, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, infilling of the Holy Ghost. How can you get an infilling of the Holy Ghost if His, if his Spirit isn't on this earth? Oh. There is no time, point in time, when God takes His Spirit out of this earth. Jesus' spirit will be on this earth the entirety of man's time and will continue through the thousand-year millennial reign. And there's scripture in, what is it, Revelation 22 that talks about worlds without end. So there may be something after this. Yeah, well, he's going to reestablish his kingdom here on earth, which would be the thousand-year millennial reign. Correct. Yeah. And now, yeah, so... Because we were talking, we we the way we were taught back back when I got into church, and that you know that he will withdraw his spirit. Mm -hmm. He will. He take the church. He'll out take the church way. out. Which therefore, you know, that's your rocket fuel. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, then Romans eight eleven. If if the same spirit is not in you that was in Christ Jesus, if the same spirit's in you that was in Christ Jesus that raised up Jesus from the dead. It will quicken your mortal body. Romans yeah. 8, 11. Uh -huh. So, I guess, you know, that was what we always taught. We were always taught that it would be pulled, and then that's why there it would be very hard because you would have to make all of those decisions without the peace of God and the presence being able to... But you have the ability to control repenting, you have the ability to control if you're going to get baptized or not. But you don't have the ability to control that you're going to get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's God. That's up to God. Called, chosen, faithful. And if his spirit, if he's taking his spirit out of this earth, out of the from underneath the firmament, you can't get filled with his spirit. So that belief is wrong. It's false. 
there's other we did some other discussion with that last so, week as well i know there'll be a remnant here once he takes the church out though not that they're going to be saved per se because there's going to be judgment when he takes the church out right it's gonna the, well the scripture says those that make the rapture it says that the second death has no power over you the people that go through the great white throne of judgment were everybody that died that was not in christ um if there is any middle ground at all i, I don't know what it would be but everybody that wasn't raptured and then also lives through the millennium and then of course at the end of the millennial reign god's going to wipe everything out with fire so everybody will give up its dead the yeah. grave will give and up its the, dead the sea the will give up white. its dead but i'm talking about people on earth after the church is taken out before Correct. any millennial before any of that there's only a few days few days when the rapture happens we're going to come immediately right back and fight the battle of armageddon so it won't be this long space of time so, but what i'm saying though is there are going to be people in the earth after the church is taken out sure and obviously there's going to be the the vials poured out whatever the plagues we'll still be on earth during the vials and the plagues okay so the hail and the oil if you look and and I'll give you a cheat sheet because we're coming up on the seventh trumpet. So, but I, I'm saying all that to make have a, make a question. So, and I'm trying to think of exactly how it says it. There's, if you confess the Lord in that day, you will be saved. Not saying I confess the Lord, I'm saved, but there's going to be great persecution in those in those days. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of. Maybe I'm getting a few things twisted up here. Kind of like martyrs on to a degree. Yeah. Kind of like post, maybe that's post, what I'm thinking. Post rapture martyrs kind of a thing. Yeah. Like you'll have so, to be martyred basically. I was taught that too. That that to get to get the second rapture basically you'll you'll basically have to be a martyr. For and there Christ. is no second rapture. Well, I'm. I'm just, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if, there are people that believe so that. i guess what i'm thinking if you where it says if you deny me i will deny you to my father mm -hmm. but if you confess me you will be saved and in, in my trying to kind of understand where that's at and in that thinking i'm thinking it's where you either get your head clopped off or you during the great tribulation there i'm will thinking be that. it's like that it's a confession before your head's clopped off kind of thing you're, there's no time to really whatever well scripture tells us the only way to be saved to is there's any i know that i know that i guess there's what i'm thinking is there's a time lapse in there i'm sure all sorts of things have been taught so yeah i guess i'm trying to get an understanding here possibly people. the way the spirit those that okay so there will be people that god will rapture out and then there will be people that have been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost that will not make it. That's correct. For some odd reason. Backslidden or whatever. Are yeah, are just, you know, not not even aware that they backslidden maybe in their heart or whatnot. And uh so that will his spirit will still dwell with them then would they be the people that can kind of like tell the other people hey or No, because we're gonna go straight from this age into the kingdom age. You're only talking about a very short space of time as far as hours. And now it may take a few days to set up. And I'm the reason I'm the Battle of Armageddon is not going to take years. It's going to take hours, day, a day or a few days maybe. 
when Christ comes back, and if you look at the seventh, I think it's the sixth and seventh seal, and then skip ahead to the seventh trumpet and the seventh vial. They are all the same description. So the seven seals is the very long story ending at the Battle of Armageddon. The very first seal is the, uh, the white horse, which is the Catholic Church, right around 200, 250 A.D. when the Catholic Church was first brought into existence. It's where its roots start. So that's the real long story ending at the Battle of Armageddon, the sixth and seventh trumpet. The first trumpet is, starts at World War I and ends at the Battle of Armageddon. The vials, the very first vial, happens leading up to the Battle of Armageddon. It starts at the leading up of the Battle of Armageddon. People that took his mark, the beast's mark, the very first vial is you're going to have sores and boils, grievous sores and boils all over your skin. Sounds to me like a, well, I'm not going to say it on line, like a poke that went bad. True. True. Um, having said that, so that's a real short story ending at the second coming. So all three of them end with the second coming, which is also the same time of the rapture. So you're talking about where rapture, we go up for the marriage supper of the Lamb. How long is the marriage supper? A few hours. We come back, we fight the battle of Armageddon with him. And and we're transformed. That appears to be the 1260 days that the Antichrist is in power. That's the end of that 1260 days. There's also a 1290 day period. So something that would be 30 days longer than that. And then scripture says, blessed is he that comes to the 1335th day. So another 35 days after that, 45 days after that. So there's a brief window in there where it appears the kingdom of God is getting set up. Not that God needs time, but mankind needs time to adapt to it. The nations that are still on the earth, Scripture says their dominion was taken away. Their governments, their powers that rule them are taken away. So the governments that rule all these nations right now, their dominion was taken away, but their lives, the, the nations, the, their lives were prolonged for a season and a time, a thousand years. So the people that aren't killed in the Battle of Armageddon are still going to be here, on, that you weren't raptured, you didn't die in the Battle of Armageddon, you're going to be into the millennial reign. Okay. And the people that were raptured, it says, we will rule and reign with him as kings and priests for a thousand years. And when did the dead in Christ rise? At the, they, at the last trumpet. At the, last trumpet. At the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will raise first, and then Scripture says those that are alive and remain, the people that are that are truly saved, called faithful, chosen, called chosen and faithful. So the dead in Christ will raise first, and then Scripture says those that are alive and remain will will meet them in the air. So you'll so see. So we them. will actually ascend until that point. We'll just be here. Mm -hmm. And we'll bring like the white horses and all that. We'll be no, down. we'll go up in the air with the dead in Christ will raise first. We will be immediately behind them. We will go up for a marriage ceremony with Christ. But, but that's not the first trumpet. 
Not the first trumpet. The first trumpet's World War One. Okay. But if I mean not the seventh trumpet. It's what? The seventh trumpet is what I meant to say, not the first. The seventh trumpet. We're gonna. There's an actual lesson on it. The sixth and seventh um, seal, seventh trumpet, seventh vial, are all the depiction of the Battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Christ. Yeah. So like we're sitting here and the trumpet blows. What happens? Well, the next trumpet that blows is a World War Three. World War Three. But you're talking we about. We don't go anywhere. No. We stay here, but we know what's going on. Mm -hmm. We don't see Jesus yet. Are we see Jesus and we're fighting mm -hmm. with white horses, the Battle of Not Armageddon? Yet. That'll be at the seventh trumpet. Okay. But the actual rapture will dead it, whether the dead in Christ rise, is after that Battle of Armageddon. Before. It is before. Okay, that's where I was getting we will, confused. We will come For some back reason, and fight I thought you were saying yes. it was after yeah. that. And I was yeah. like, that had me way confused. Did you, were you misinterpreting that too? No, I, I think I had in my head that once the church is taken out, there will be a, a period of time where people are getting their heads clopped off or whatever's happening. That if they can, if they confess the Lord, not saying that there's whatever. Because it says here, the scripture, and I'm not trying to, I'm just trying to get an understanding here. I'm not saying that we're going to be saved without the Holy Ghost. Hold on one second. In my head, I kind of had this thing going on. Whosoever there shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father. And I don't know, I thought there was another scripture kind of that was saying in that day, kind of during tribulation or whatever, that this was the case. I don't know how I, I was that's getting not, that. That's not I know. pertinent to any one specific no, point. I know. But I, in my head, I kind of have this thing going on where if you confess me, you're going to be saved because everybody's getting their heads clopped off. So confess me now. Or if you deny me, oh, I'm, I deny Christ. Well, oh, you're fine. Then let's just give you the mark of the beast. Whatever. I'm, I had all this scenario going on in my, in my head. So I just kind of applying that to that so but yeah yeah i get it the church is going to be gone that is the judgment that's the judgment whoever's left that's not the judgment no 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 well it's the judgment of that he's taken his church out to to some extent there's a judgment there of who's saved and who's not they're pulled out but then um, later down the line we got we got the churches being taken out we're going to have this war this tribulation Jesus and the church is going to come back, stop that war, whatever. They're going to fight the Lamb. Which the dead in Christ will be with us at that time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what, yeah, I was... Because the scripture said the dead in Christ shall rise first and those yeah. who are alive. But for some reason, that's, what I, that's yeah. what I always believed. But then for some reason, I thought you were saying, like, there will be, we'll go, we'll fight the Battle of Armageddon, and then will rapture up and at that point that's when the dead in christ will rise and i was like we're going to oh. go through this probably a couple of times in these lessons to yeah. reiterate it but here's kind of a brief i thought i used to understand it now i'm like at the midpoint of the final <laughs> older too like at the midpoint of the final seven years at the halfway point the antichrist will be revealed at that moment in time it appears that satan will possess the body of the person that's going to be the antichrist he will personally possess that person we will have three and a half years of great tribulation where people that are under the heavy boot heel of the Antichrist, some will be killed, and Scripture tells us that. Um, 
we will continue through the Great Tribulation. At that same point in time, there will be a great revival that no man could number. At the end of the Great Tribulation, the culmination of that, Satan is going to, because he can't do anything to God in heaven, he can't try to overthrow God one more time because he's bound to the earth. God has bound him to woe be to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for Satan comes down to you having great wrath. So that three and a half years is great Satan's great wrath. He can't do anything to God himself, so he's going to do the next best thing, and I'm going to go after the place where God said, I will put my name there. That's the best I can do is go after Jerusalem. So he goes after Jerusalem specifically. It appears that the cause that they're going, the, the excuse they're going to use for that battle of Armageddon is the, uh, uh, the Jewish people will not give up East Jerusalem as, as its capital. They will not give up East Jerusalem. And the Palestinians want it for their capital. That appears to be the sticking point because Scripture says, um, "I will, uh, I will bring all nations against Jerusalem to battle. The riot, the houses will be rifled, the women will be ravaged, and half of the city will go forth into captivity." So it appears that the sticking point that's going to cause the Battle of Armageddon is they're going to take, they're going to try to take by force East Jerusalem. But while they're there, the miles will just wipe out all of Israel. They might will just wipe them out because all of Iran's going to be with them as well. And this is a lot of like. So now this is the Ishmael Isaac. Pretty much argument. exactly right. So now that's a great point. But yes, so now we're down to the Battle of Armageddon. At that point in time, when it's right down to the last part of it, the church, any anybody that if if you're in. In Scripture, people that are dead and they're in Christ, it refers to them as asleep. Right. It does not refer to them as dead. You know, like that one Scripture, let the dead bury their dead. But anytime it refers to Christians as being in the grave, it says they're asleep, which they are. The Spirit is, a, they're just asleep waiting for that time. The dead in Christ will rise first. The, those that are alive and remain will meet them, meet them in the air and we'll go off for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It doesn't take that long. It's a marriage supper. So however long it takes, and we come back with him, and we fight at the Battle of Armageddon. So at that point, the Great Tribulation is over. Of course, we win the Battle of Armageddon. The false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is thrown, is bound, and thrown into the bottomless pit. We go into the 1,000-year millennial reign. God will set up his kingdom on this earth for 1,000 years. After the 1,000 years is up, it says Satan will be loosed for a little season. Which doesn't make any sense to me at all. Well, it does if everybody has to. Everybody goes through a time in their life where they have to make a choice. We already just went through all that. Well, this is now that's 1,000 years later. So th these people need to go through that. Um, Satan is once again going to stir up Russia, Gog, Magog, come back against God, and he's going to destroy everything by fire. So people thinking that the world's just going to annihilate, or like... Especially if it's because of green, not using green energy, no. No, it doesn't appear to be the case, not scripturally. Um... 
However, he is going to wipe everything out by fire. Later. But at the end of the thousand years. At the end of the thousand years. But then at the very last part of Revelation, it says worlds without end, world without end. So does he come up with another creation down the road after that's all done? Sometimes I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I always thought, I don't know, like when I first got into church, I would read, you know, like books of the Bible, you know, and I thought, you know, like later after all that happens, will there be, will, will there be like, what if there was another creation? Will there be like the people that felt like Nona Freeman and, you know, like Lee Stone King, will there be like a book of Nona? And like a book of Lee, like, and that's, you know, like our story, you know what I'm saying? Like, will they be back like, wow, they, they went and they, they were, they did that and they faced that and they had that great faith. Will somebody be reading about them? I don't know the like, answer to that. Read about Noah. I'd almost say probably not. Cause if he like wipes off everything that was here, then yeah. it would be like the greatest reset. One of the things there is, you know, be taking it from the top. I yes, guess, in my mind. One of the things that kind of comes to my mind when you say that, the Nona Freeman book or whatever, um, I've always had it. I've started a little Bible study and I keep it saved in one of my email folders. But if if you if if you found out whatever point in your life, if you found out there was going to be a book of Michelle or a book of Catlin or a book of Brian. How would your book look in the Bible? Well, and I'm not, I'm just saying it's a thought. It's a thought to go, I need to get some stuff right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that type of scrutiny. I mean, look how we yeah. scrutinize what David did and how we scrutinize Esther and not necessarily scrutiny, but, you know, we go over it and we read about it and we, well, why did he do that? Well, why did you do the things you did? Mm. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Why did I do the things I did? What if there's a book of you that's going to be in the Bible? We do have a book of us, but it may not necessarily be compiled into. I mean, your story. Yeah. In yeah. Scripture. Maybe. Yeah. How's it and how's it turn out? Did it make it? Well, I would hope. Did Nicodemus ever come to his senses? I think. We'll find out someday. Will he meet us in the air? Okay, so I kind of got an outline here. She's getting smart. Okay, I got the confirmation of the covenant from that time. I got the confirmation of the covenant. And from that time, there'll be seven years. Seven years. Seven years. Seven years to go. Then there'll be. Then there'll be the abomination of desolation where the Antichrist will say, I'm God, worship me. Correct. From that time, there'll be three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there, will be the tribulation, the war. That is the tribulation. The three, the final three and a half years, the entirety of that is great tribulation. Well, and then I have that immediate phone. Tribulation, World War II. Somewhere in there is the rapture of the church and the wedding supper. Then No, somewhere... actually, that's not correct. You're talking about not World War II, but World War Three. Three, I meant. She yeah, has three. That, three. World War Three. World War Three will have to happen. Yep, yep. World War Three will have to happen before the Antichrist is revealed. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. Scripture tells us that. Okay. 
All right, so I'll put, I, yeah, I just put those two together. But then, um, after the wedding supper, after it's return of uh, Christ with the church, yes, his bride, and then I'm just, um, okay, so then obviously after the return, that's the millennial reign, and then after that's the great white throne judgment. After the thousand years, that's correct. Yeah. So, but then after a thousand years is Gog and Magog, and then later, mm -hmm. the great white throne. Yep. But after God wipes out everything on the earth with fire and everything is now dead, then we go off into the great, great white throne of judgment. And, and those of us that make the rapture, Scripture says that the second death, which the great white throne of judgment will be to those people that are judged bad, will be the second death. Basically, we'll be, we'll be, we won't have to be before him, we'll be behind him. Correct. We'll be, uh, That's more or less, the jury. That's correct. It's sitting behind him that will be called, you know, be used as... That's correct. You know, the second death has no power be behind him than before him on that day. So this is what I was always taught, but as far as the tribulation and the world, the, you know, the battle of Armageddon, was not real clear where that kind of, and I guess we'll not. World War Three is not the Battle of Armageddon. World War Three, if you if you will, will be what kills one third of the human oh, race. Oh, okay. The Battle of Armageddon, yes, it's going to have several nations involved in it, but it's not going to be a world war necessarily, if you will. Although it would almost have the guise of that, but it's simply going to be. Is that the World War Three? Is that the Sixth Trumpet War? Yes. Okay. That'll be what the cry for a world peace or a, need, uh, a great need for peace. That will be the the entrance ramp for the Antichrist to come into power. Yeah, just wiped out 2.6, 2.7 billion people. And that's pretty much going to be a nuclear thing. I would think so. It's going to be quick. There aren't that many nations that are nuclear, though, right? No, but China, um, one, China of the, Russia, one of the articles United I just States. posted today, and I'm glad you said that because I wanted it to be on this feed. China kind of put it out there in the last day or so that if it came down to a nuclear war, they think they would win, come out on top. Well, if they're the 200 million man army described in the sixth trumpet. I got news for him. And I don't see them anywhere in the prophecies of the final three well, and a half years. Think about it like the Olympics. How many gold medals do they have? How many? I don't know. Probably not very many. It's probably not very many, no. Is Gog and Magog, is that a battle with Christ himself? Or it's a territory. It's, it's, it's an area. Gog and Magog is... Uh, na nation boundaries from back in biblical time, but it's not Gog and Magog will come against God, but um, it's a territory. It's Russia. Um, I think it even spills down into Turkey. You can you can simply use a Google or a, a biblical map. But it's a battle that God will fight. Mm -hmm. With them? Yep. And then... Great White Stone. 
Yeah, and like I said, this is what we were always taught. Okay. Bought it. You don't need to announce. <laughs> I did. You'd be surprised what that microphone picks up. I'm gonna find out. <laughs> There's some still some good questions, so I don't want to end the live feed yet. Bear with us. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm drawing my little Sorry, pictures of the great white throne. <laughs> All that kind of business. Um yeah, so I have a, a good outline just so I could keep it. Straight. I didn't save an outline aside for myself tonight. I don't remember where that called and chosen and faithful is in scripture. Uh seventeen fourteen Revelation. Revelation seventeen fourteen. Mm -hmm. Well, um that's kind of <laughs> you can see. Is that something you want me to see? Evil. That's kind of my outline just to keep my head straight. But yeah, like I said, that's what we were always taught at the the Battle of Armageddon, I didn't even know World War Three or Battle of Armageddon, two different things, but that and tribulation wasn't clear where that was happening, or actually even where the rapture was happening, because, of course, none of us really know, but. Mm -hmm. Thousand years after that, Kagamagod, great point, that's exactly correct. I can read the 1714 for you. Go ahead. It says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and faithful. That's the scripture. And that kind of gives me pause to think, you know, few are called, many are, many are called, few are chosen. But even out of those, it's going to be narrowed down to being faithful. This is my. Any other good stuff before I? Arm fifteen minutes. It didn't seem like as long a discussion tonight, but it has been. Ladies, do you have anything else? No, I don't. Harry, do you? I don't think so. All right. We will see you all next week. Thank you so much for tuning in.